0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Um, I, I do want to just say that uh, I am not the pastor here. Um, I've been a, a member here for 36 years, but I certainly am not the pastor, and we can hardly wait till he is able to, to be back and, and preach again. So we need to remember him in our prayers. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have today. I'm grateful, Lord, for the blessings that you've given us I'm grateful, Lord, that uh, you are the one who's in charge, that you are the one who knows what's going on. We don't, Lord, but sometimes we act as if we do. Lord, we ask forgiveness for that. The Bible says, Lord, that your ways are not man's ways, and man's ways are but foolishness unto God. So, Lord, help us to get on the path of doing things your way. Oh, Lord, we're grateful for all that you do. Now, Lord, as we go into this message today, I just pray that you work through me, have this lesson, Lord, be Yours and not mine. I just ask that you speak through me, Lord. And I just pray that we're learning exactly what you called for us to learn today. Oh, Lord, we love you. your name we pray. Amen. You know, we've got a lot of turmoil going on in America. There's political turmoil. There is medical turmoil. There's social turmoil. And there's financial turmoil going on. And I'd also tell you that I am um, 100% sure that God's in control of every bit of that. I know that God's in control, even though the politicians would have you believe that they're in control, or that they want to be in control, and we know that's just not true. You know, one thing we have to remember, each one of us is exactly where God wants us. So I would tell you, as some people say, that I wish we were we lived in the good old days, and I would tell you I'm glad we don't. If God is perfect and God is sovereign, he's got us living right here, right now, today. He doesn't have us at some other time. He's got us here. So thank God we're here today, even with all the turmoil strife going on. As Esther said, just such a great quote, it says, Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. This is where it is that God has us. This is where God wants us, and this is where we are. So we need to either embrace that or resent that. And I would tell you we better embrace it because we know God's holy, God's in charge, and I am not. Now, today I want to talk about two ordinary men that through, by God, they did extraordinary things. But they were ordinary, right? The first one was uh, uh, Joshua. And if we remember about Joshua... He was the guy that led the the Israelites into the Promised Land, right? It was Moses that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and he brought them to it. Joshua brought them into it, right? So he was, he was uh, very much blessed by God. But one of the things we know about Joshua is that he was born into slavery. He was born in Egypt. He was a Jew, so he was enslaved. He was a laborer. Um, after uh, they were the Exodus of from Egypt, he became a soldier. He was a man's man. He was a man of integrity. He worked hard. He fought hard. In fact, he ultimately even became general of Israel's army, and he did amazing things. And God did amazing things through him. But the question is, why did Joshua obey God? We are taught that we're supposed to obey God. But why did Joshua obey God? Is it easy to just obey God? I don't think it's ever easy. But we have to remember something that Joshua saw. Joshua saw the miracles of God. He saw the miracles when the uh, when Pharaoh received the plagues for keeping the Israelites captive. He saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw the collapse of the Red Sea onto the Egyptians as they tried to follow him. He saw manna come down from heaven. He saw uh, Moses come down from the mountain, after he had talked with God, his hair was white and his skin glowed. He saw God as a keeper of his promises. And so if we understand that the reason he obeyed God is because he believed God, that makes obedience so much harder. You see, if we don't obey God, we're not going to I'm sorry, if we don't believe God, we're not going to probably obey God. If we think God is just something out over here, you know, kind of, sort of, or if you believe the world that it's really foolishness to believe in God, the likelihood of us obeying God is very, very slim. So turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. And we're only going to read the first nine verses in in Joshua. But I want to read Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Verses 1 through 5. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who was Moses' assistant. He said, Now that my servant Moses is dead, you must lead my people across the Jordan River and into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Everywhere you go, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev desert in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north to the Euphrates river on the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west, and all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand their ground against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you nor abandon you. Most translations say I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is the instruction that Joshua got from God. But we've got to remember Joshua believed God. So then the question is going to be, is he going to obey God? Is he going to do what it is that God's called him to do? Let's read on. Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead my people to possess all the land I swore to give their ancestors. God gave them the land. Joshua's role was to possess it. That possession wasn't just I'm coming in. It almost always meant battle. And he said, be strong and courageous. Why would God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? He told Joshua to be strong and courageous because he knew that's what he was going to need. That it wasn't going to be easy. You're not going to just walk in and do nothing and possess. You're going to have to fight. You see, nothing in the Bible is meaningless. Words are very important. So when he said, you need to be strong and courageous, he said that because that's what's going to have to happen. You are going to be uh, tested in ways you probably never thought you were going to be tested. But you must be strong and courageous. Let me read on. Be strong and be very courageous, verse 7 says. Obey all the laws of Moses, all all the laws Moses gave you. Don't turn away from them. Go straight away, not to the right or to the left, and you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of law continually. Meditate on it day and night so you may be sure to obey all that is written in it. Only then will you succeed. I command you to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When they possessed Israel in city by city and fort by fort, It was always a struggle. And it seems like when you read this, well, it should have been easy. If God's going to be with them and everywhere he goes he's going to have success, all he's got to do is obey God and read the Scriptures. But we have to remember that their taking over Israel was predicated on the people's obedience. And Joshua was their leader. God gave, God gave the Israelites over 300 square miles of land. They only possessed 30 square miles. Now, the 30 square miles they possessed was pretty awesome. And if you remember from the earlier days, 40 years prior, when the Israelites sent the spies in to the promised land, they sent 12 spies in, if you remember. Two of them were Joshua and Caleb. They all reported back that the land was very, very wealthy, rich, super-growing land. In fact, the words that they used were it is land flowing with milk and honey. All the Israelites saw that. All the Israelites saw the miracles that God performed to get them there. Yet all the Israelites, except Joshua and Caleb, said, we can't go in, they're too big. God's not big enough for us, because they got giants in there. You would think if you saw those miracles, you would believe. But we're a fickle bunch, right? And so Joshua had the task of leading these fickle people. And they only possessed 10% of the land that God gave them over this time. Now, I would also tell you Joshua was unbelievably blessed and liked because he obeyed God. This book, this chapter, is something that's very important to me personally. One of the things that I say all the time is that when we study the Bible, and if we do not apply it and apply it correctly, it's as if we're reading a biology book or a history book or a math book. It's just academia. In fact, the um, we're even instructed not to get puffed up in our knowledge, right? That knowledge has to be applicable. So, 35 years ago, uh, Sally and I had just bought a house, and I was contemplating a job change. I was a manager at Shopco, which Shopco is no more, and I didn't like retail. It's a hard business to be in if you don't like retail. And anyway, um, I had been praying about what it is that God wanted me to do. And in February, prior to this, it was Sally's birthday. I took Sally out to dinner. We had a reservation downtown. And when we opened the door to go into the restaurant, there was a couple that we knew from college. Now, this was some of Sally's friends, or Sally's roommates, housemates, parents. Whoa, how about that? And They lived in the UP someplace, and so it was very nice to see them, and I'll never forget what she said. There was a line to get in, and she said, and by the way, I'm looking forward to a very nice romantic dinner with my wife, and she said, I hope we can get in. I don't have a reservation, and I said, well, I've got a reservation, And she said, oh, good, I'll join you. No offense, I didn't want them to join us, right? But anyway, the way that God works is I always say God's got a really good sense of humor, and he works in ways that I would never dream of. So after we sat down and started to eat, I'll never forget the question he asked me. He asked me, the husband asked me, Al, how's Shopko going? And I said, the Shopko's okay, but I'm looking for a change. I I I just don't care for retail. And he said, have you ever considered what I do? I said, I have no idea what you do. He said, I'm a life insurance agent. And I went, <laughs> no way. I mean, that was, my, that was exactly what I did. No way. And then uh, he laughed and he said, well, can you tell me why it is that you would say that? And I said, well, most life insurance agents to me are people with back hair, plaid jackets, and baby, have I got a policy for you? And he said something great. He said, do I remind you of that? No. Well, as we talked throughout the night, everything that I was looking for in a career started pointing right towards this. I was getting really excited. Now, I worked at Shafco as a manager. I was working about 80 hours a week. I did not know anybody socially here. Uh, I was, I, I just didn't know anybody, and I'd only been here for a couple of years, and um, this would be a straight commission job. So Sal and I, before I took this job, Sal and I went and bought a house, by the way, the same month. And then I started off in this career straight commission. Sally wasn't real happy with me, by the way. But I knew what God was doing. God was working on me. And I was asking for a sign. I said, God, somehow you got to let me know that I'm making the right decision, not just a, an ego decision, but the right decision. And so I opened up the Bible... And I opened up to Joshua chapter 1. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I knew at that moment, right then, that this is what it is that God had for me to do. So I've been in the financial services business now for 34 34 years. And I've been unbelievably blessed because I obeyed God. When we obey God, there's blessing. We have to choose if we're going to obey God or we're going to willfully disobey God. The choice is ours. But how is it that we're going to obey God if we don't see God as great? Joshua saw all the miracles that God performed. And he said, this God is great. And he obeyed God. You see, we talk about obedience, but does obedience mean anything if you don't think the one you're obeying is great, is worthy of your obedience? Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. You know, I would tell you that um, Isaiah chapter 6 is one of my favorite places in the Bible. Even though other places I read, they're my favorite place in the Bible, right? So, the Bible is awesome. One of the things the Bible does for us, it is truth. It's not like other books that talk about truth. It is truth. The more we know it, the better off that we will be prepared to deal with the attacks that Satan will give. And by the way, how Satan gives us the attacks is through the unsaved. Through people. Right? Alright. Now, Isaiah. What do we know about Isaiah? Isaiah was a scribe. He was the one who wrote down the, the, uh, the law and continued to wrote it down and had it published. Scribes had to be very smart. So this scribe, Isaiah, was an academic. He wasn't like Joshua, who was a man's man. This was a white-collar guy who didn't get his hands dirty, never had grease underneath his fingernails, anything like that. He was an academic who was unbelievably smart. He had brains and not brawn, and he was kind of the opposite of Joshua. He was a scribe during the time that King Uzziah reigned. So Isaiah is the scribe, and the king at that time was Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah was a king that was very successful king. He was a good king, right? The Bible says that he did right in the sight of God. Now, we still sinned, and he wasn't a perfect king, but he was a good king. God said that because of you, you are this kind of king, you will have a long reign. He reigned for 55 years. And then peace will be in the land of Israel. And if you do go to battle, you will win. That's who the king was. Isaiah loved King Uzziah. But King Uzziah sinned against God, and then he ended up, his punishment was he got leprosy, and then pretty soon he died. Isaiah was very concerned about his country. King Uzziah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. Normally called Judah. And so he was the king there, and he was concerned, Isaiah was concerned, that the next king may not be a good king. He was concerned for his country. Sounds like us today. Some of you are thinking, boy... I sure hope Donald Trump gets another four years. And others might be thinking, I sure hope Joe Biden gets in there and Trump doesn't have another four years. People are concerned with their country. But Isaiah did something that we should be doing. He went to the temple to pray about it. He was concerned, and he didn't just think about it, get frustrated about it. He went to the temple to pray about it. So this is where we are in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now remember, he was at the temple praying, and he says, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Other translations say he was high and lifted up. So what does high and lifted up, or sitting on a lofty throne, what does that mean? That means that's the one who is reigning. The Lord is reigning over all. And He recognized that He was high and lifted up. He was sitting on this, uh, this, this unbelievable lofty throne because He was the one who was in charge. We get screwed up thinking we're in charge. We may even tell God, God, you gotta elect Donald Trump. God's in charge. We are not. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not in charge. You need to thank, Lord, that I'm not in charge. <laughs> God is in charge, and that's his position. He was high and lifted up. And then it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now what does that mean? If you think of England for a minute, when a princess or a queen gets married, or somebody who's very important, the more importance that they have, the longer the train is on their gown. How long was God's, the train of God's robe? It filled up the temple. It didn't just fill the floor of the temple, it filled up the temple. He is preeminent, he is the most important, and this is who it is that Isaiah was praying to. Let's keep going. Hovering around him, the one who was sitting on the throne, were mighty seraphim. Each with two wings, or each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with the remaining two they did fly. Okay, what's a seraphim? A seraphim is an angel. There's cherubim and seraphim. We're talking about seraphim. Seraphim are active angels. Their whole role is to protect God's holiness. A cherubim is a, uh, not an active, more of a passive angel, right? Seraph, for seraphim, means to burn or to make holy. No, I'm sorry, to burn or to purify. So hence the word seraphim makes sense, right? But we need to see, by the way, in the Old Testament, all this imagery was very important to the Jews. They knew what it was. You and I have to read about it. We're we're not Jews. We have to try to understand it better as we go along. But think of the seraphim, how they're described. They have six wings. Now, no, just think of this. Two of them, they did cover their feet. With two wings, they covered their face. And with two wings, they did fly. That was magical. And that was God's creation. Right there. And he saw those seraphim fly. And it says, In a great chorus they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. The glorious singing shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. That is a prayer meeting. (laughs) The seraphim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God does not have to be purified. He is holy. We have to be purified because we are not holy, right? And then it says the glorious singing shook the temple to its foundation. Now not only God is high and lifted up and the train of of his robe filled the temple, now the singing shook the temple. And then it says and the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. If this didn't get your attention, there is nothing that's going to get your attention. Isaiah already revered God. He already revered Him. Remember, he was in the temple praying, what's going to happen, Lord? He was in the right place doing the right time. Let's move on. But before we move on, every time in the Bible... That someone had met the Lord or an angel of the Lord, they always did something. They fell prostrate. They fell on the ground, face first. Why? Because they were unworthy. So let's look at Isaiah's reaction. In chapter five, or in verse five, it says, Then I said, My destruction is sealed. In the King James it says, I am an undone man. Other translations say, I am ruined. For I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race, yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. God is holy. And when we go into the presence of God, our our sinfulness is revealed. Poof. And he said, I am a man who is with unclean lips. Right? My destruction is sealed. I am undone. There is nothing he could say to make himself right. There's no excuses when you're in front of God. By the way, if it were me here, I'd be weeping. It doesn't say he did, but it doesn't say he didn't. I know I would be weeping. It says, then one of the seraphim, remember the seraphim? Seraphim means to, to burn or to purify. It says, then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar. He picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. How do you think Isaiah felt at that moment? Amen. This is the exact same picture one has when one, before one is saved and we receive and we possess the forgiveness of Jesus Christ through his redeeming blood. It's amen. Amen. Now the Lord asks Isaiah a question. Then I heard the Lord asking, it says, whom should I send as a messenger to my people? God asked a very broad question. If you're like me, we want specifics. God asks us to act in faith, and I want to act in knowledge. Isaiah just saw the king high and lifted up, and his sin has just been forgiven. And he is on a mountaintop experience. He is elated. And he said, here I am, send me. And he doesn't even know what he signed up for, for how long he signed up for, or even what he's going to say. He knows nothing. That is a pure testament of obedience by faith. And God always asks us to act in obedience. Remember what I said about the promised land in Joshua? The contingency was to them for to possess the land as they had to obey. They didn't obey. Joshua obeyed, but most of the people didn't obey. Verse 9 says, And he said, Yes, go, but tell my people this, that you will hear my words, but you will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. Harden the hearts of these people, close their ears, and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes hear with their ears or understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. That's the knowledge that I would have wanted. And if I got that knowledge, I very well may have said, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to go there. Any one of us will say no to God unless we understand that God is worthy to ask. He alone, is worthy to ask. And I want to talk about one part. And it says, harden the hearts of these people. Close their ears and shut their eyes. God did not harden their hearts. God didn't shut their eyes. God didn't close their lips. He didn't do any of that. All He did, when Isaiah went out to talk to Him, it was God's holiness that revealed their hardened hearts. Your heart and my heart, prior to being saved, was hard. We didn't even understand it. Once we got saved, it's amazing how soft our hearts got. But we can go right back and forth of having a hardened heart and then a softer heart. A hardened heart, softer heart. The whole point for Christianity to have success, as it says in Joshua, is to obey but are we going to obey a worthy God? Or do you view God as the song in the 70s said, well, he's a God who lives a ways up there and really doesn't care, right? Is that your God? Or is it a God who's sitting high and lifted up? If you see God as high and lifted up, you are seeing God in the right way, the way the Bible declares him to be throughout from Genesis to Revelation. If you see him some other way, it's been because we've been infiltrated We've not read our Bibles and we're listening to what the world on the outside says. The world on the outside today in America says, don't even listen to God because that's the stupidest thing you could do. Thank God we are here today because God has us here today. He's asked us to be a light into the world. You can't be a light into the world unless you see God as the everlasting light. And you try to do it on your own, you will fail. I will fail. Obedience only lasts as long as I see God as great. The minute I try to take it on myself, I'm in trouble. You know, I when my oldest son was born, I prayed that God would do amazing things, that, he, that my son Gideon would do amazing things for God. Not, that wasn't a prideful or a boastful way. But I realized right after that 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 was really stupid prayer. God put it on my heart and said, "Teach him to see me as great." Well, that's my desire for my kids is that they see God as great because then they'll have a desire to obey as opposed to a duty to obey. God wants our obedience because he is worthy of obedience. God is most awesome. So how do we see God? Do we see him as high and lifted up like Isaiah did? Do we see him as a miracle worker like Joshua did? As king of kings, as Lord, as Lord, as holy, as worthy of worship? Or do we just see him as something else? Let me read this. I love this piece. These are names and attributes of God. And after each name is a Bible verse. So I'll give you the Bible verses for the first couple, and then I'll just... Give you the description afterwards or later on. He is good, first Chronicles 16 34. He is powerful, 1 Corinthians 1 24. He is great, Psalms 126. He is excellent, Psalm 1. He is love, 1 John 4:16. He is wisdom. He is holy. He is patient. He is changeless. He is merciful. He is almighty. He is glorious. He is righteous. He is just. He is grace. He is majestic. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is true. He is pure. He is sinless. He is radiant. He is faithful. He is magnificent. He is worthy. He is my creator. He is my redeemer. He is my strength. He is my truth. He is the lifter of my head. He is the all-sufficient one. He is my savior. He is my hope. He is the son of God. He is my resurrection. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the light of the world. He is the Lord of lords and he is the king of kings. He is my authority. He is my consuming fire. He is my restorer. He is my comforter. He is my stronghold in the day of trouble. He is my resting place. He is my refiner. He is my deliverer. He is my refuge from the storm. He is my overcomer he is my peace he is the bread of life he is my fortress he is my everlasting father i'm undone he's my shade from the heat he's my healer he's my counselor He's the author of my faith. He is my rewarder. He is my hiding place. He is my shield. He is my purifier. He is my sustainer. He is my sovereign Lord. Summed up, He is my all in all. Amen. Bon, if you'd come. i want to take a minute and pray. And when we start singing this next song, if you want to pray, I would suggest that you pray and you ask to see God how He really is. Not how you've connived it in your mind that he is, but how he really is. And if you need to come to this altar, I would ask you to come to the altar. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. Oh Lord, I love you. I'm grateful for who it is that you are. Oh Lord, you are sovereign. You are perfect. You are the... You're high and lifted up. You're the great healer, Lord. Thank you for being who it is that you are. Thank you, Lord, for being worthy of worship. Lord, thank you for being worthy of obedience. Oh, Lord, help us to be obedient as we go forward here. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.